All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckstables? What the fuckaholics? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckanucks? What the fucking avians? Yes, I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. I am in a hotel room in New York City. I have a corner room at the Bowery Hotel. I'm not bragging, but not a bad place. I'm finally in a neighborhood that I understand and appreciate. You know, usually when IFC uh, flies me out, they put me up at the London. Look, I'm not complaining. These are nice ass hotels. But if I'm in Midtown, all you are is you're in you're in the business world. You're in the tourist world. There's nowhere to go. You go to the Museum of Modern Art down the street, but you got to take a train downtown. Here I get up. I get up. I'm, I'm way the hell downtown. I can just go walk around my past. I can go look at the place I used to live, look at the place I used to get drunk, look at the place I used to get coke. I'm not saying that that's the tour that I'm taking. I I try not to get nostalgic for it, but you know, there are things I can do down here that I enjoy doing. Go over to Veselka, have a bowl of hot borscht and some pierogies and sit there in a consistency that's been there for years and years. I remember that place when, when it was just a dirty little hole and now it's a bigger place, but the borscht is like a universal truth, man. The hot borscht at Veselka is a universal truth. Sometimes you got to send it back to get it hotter, but it's just, it's never changes. Well, you know, this is a New York based show. The interview with Dan Vitale, I taped in a, in a hotel room here in New York and Dan Vitale is very important to me. He's I know many of you may not know who he is. You probably don't, but uh, he was sort of a, a, a huge force in my life at one time. It's very interesting because I'm having a little of this in, in the dynamic of my relationship, too. It's just sort of like, you know, what, what part of your past you know, do you hold on to? There are artifacts. There are people. There are things that help define you. That's just part of life. You know, you can't erase your past, whether it's good or bad. Sometimes it just goes away. It's probably all going to go away naturally uh, eventually. Eventually, your, your brain can't contain it. Or God forbid you get some sort of sickness and things start to dissipate. You know, things go away. Fragments come and go. And obviously memories can be updated and revised and sort of reformatted. They change in their intensity in terms of how you see them. And sometimes, you know, they come to you later and you realize like, oh my God, that was more important than I thought it was, either for good or for bad. I never really processed that event or that memory like that. They sort of grow. They ebb and flow in your mind. Sometimes different parts of the event or the memory or the period come to the forefront and the ones that used to be important go back. It's how you define your perception of yourself in the world is the ebbing and flowing of memories, events, and time periods, and also the way those things mutate themselves. It's hard to get to the truth of a memory or of an artifact from your life because all you can rely on is the brain that captured it in the first place and what that brain's going to do with it. There's no absolute truth to it, but your perception sort of evolves and changes And then, you know, God forbid, sometimes it just goes away. I imagine there's a freedom in that, but there's a sadness to it too. There's a sadness about how fragile, you know, this thing between our ears really is. How fragile, you know, those chemicals that are connected to our heart and make us understand the world in our own unique way. How fragile it all is. Is that, God, it's getting heavy. Dan Vitale. Let me tell you about Dan Vitale. Dan Vitale was a force to be reckoned with. When I got to New York in the late 80s, 1989, the original improv was one of the only places that you know I could work. The original improv, what was left of it up there on 44th Street was, you know, Bud Friedman had left and built his empire. And the original improv where everything started was 
under the control of Bud's ex-wife, Silver Friedman, who ran the place and, and managed it to micromanaged it down to your act, to who you were, to who she let on, and to what she, you know, she had things to say about you. But it was sort of a beat up place and it kind of had the vibe that it was on its last legs, but it was the original improv. So it had that, the, the sort of history to it. And, and it had, you know, all these, you know, weird old pictures and, you know, it was the place. It was the original club. It was the original brick wall. The original improv on 44th Street was a small room. The chairs were beat up. Uh, the, the sign on the wall, on the hanging on the brick wall that said the improvisation was missing a letter. Uh, all the chairs were, you know, some of them were built into the wall. It might have probably seat less than 200 people in there. It was a tight little room with a front bar. And it just looked like it was beat up. All, it wore all the history right on the chairs, right on the walls. Every, we felt it all. It wasn't haunted. It was just a little bit beat up. And it felt like it was almost over. But being able to work there, you kind of felt like, well, at least I'm catching the tail end of this. At least I've stood in front of the original brick wall, the first one, where it all started. You know, where all the people in New York, you know, started to come, uh, you know, uh, back in the, in, in the early 70s or late 60s. It was, it, you felt it all. But uh, when I got there, there was this dude, Dan Vitale. I never heard of him. I didn't know who he was. But he was one of these guys that a sort of mythological tale surrounded him. You know, at the time, he was very heavy. You know, he'd get up on stage. And he was one of the first guys I'd ever seen get up on stage and literally look at an audience and go, you know what? Yeah, I don't know if we're, we're going to get along. I don't know if we're going to hit it off. And he would just wrestle with himself on stage. I'd never seen anything like it. There was, you know, this amazing sort of bombastic sort of wit and confidence mixed with this utter, complete, angry insecurity. It was, it was fascinating to me that he could let himself be that way on stage and that he was that way off stage too. He just struggled with himself. But he had brilliant jokes. I've quoted some of the jokes on this show. Uh, you know, to other people and talking to Dom Irera. But I just used to love watching this guy and hang around this guy because I'd never seen someone so actively struggling with himself, you know, with his past, you know, with uh, substances, with everything. But the, the story was that, you know, he was the next big guy. He was that guy. You know, he was really the first story that it was the first time I ever heard that story. We're like, yeah, man, he was poised to be the guy at, you know, for Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels took a shine to him and he got to, he got the shot and he just blew it because he couldn't control his, his, his personality or his substances or anything. He just blew it and then he fell hard. And this is what's left of him. And I loved what was left of him because it was so brutally raw and human and, and honest yeah, in a way that, that you know, being humbled gives you. You can fight being humbled, but if you are humbled, you know, you can't hide it. You can fight it, but you can't hide it. It's, a, it's tough to find grace in that. I guess grace is a theme. But I was sort of obsessed with Vitaly, and then there was that period there. I remember there was this one time, you know, Bill Hicks lived in New York for about a day, maybe less than a year. He just decided to move here. He was doing sets at the improv. No one, no one really understood Hicks. You know, he just blew that room apart. You know, and Vitaly and Hicks were buddies. I mean, they became friends. And, you know, and, and then we used to sit and watch. Like, yeah, I remember one time I sat and watched Brian Regan with Bill Hicks and Vitaly was there. And I just remember this one time where me and Bill Hicks and Dan Vitaly, 
you know, it was you know, it was New Year's Eve, and we were at the Improv. We had nothing to do, no parties, no nothing, and we were like three blocks away from where the ball drops. And I'd never seen it. I never wanted to go over there. I never wanted to, <laughs> to fucking deal with the massive crowds and all the bullshit. But Hicks had never seen it. So me and Vitaly are standing there, and Hicks is like, "Let's go, man. Let's go see it." And I'm like, "Dude, we're never. We're not even gonna get close to it." I mean, we were on 44th and like between 8th and 9th, and it's happening at 42nd in you know Times Square. And there were people already backed up to almost to where we were. But Hicks is like, man, I got to see it. I got to see it. And we went out. I just remember the three of us, you know, these fucking rogue comedians, you know, friendless and without definition life-wise other than our gypsy existence. We're trying to plow through the, the, the essence of mainstream culture, you know, to get to watch this spectacle. And we got about a block and we didn't know what to do. We couldn't move. It was, it was horrible. And Hicks is just sort of like, ah, fuck this. Let's go back to the improv and do the countdown. So we wild, you know, wandered back and just, you know, sat there and waited for New Year's to happen. The three of us, in my memory, were just alone in the bar at the improv, you know, waiting for New Year's to happen. It's just a, it's a beautiful New York sort of, you know, sad but kind of pretty moment, you know. But Vitaly, man, I just, he's always had, I've always had a big place in my heart for him. And I'm very thrilled that, you know, I was able to talk to him and I hope you enjoy this conversation. This conversation with Dan Vitale took place at the London Hotel. I don't think I'd sat down and talked to Dan in over 20 years. Over 20 years. I think I ran into him once in that time. But he looks good. He's a, you know, specifically New York character. And, uh, and you know, it had a profound effect on my life and I was thrilled to talk to him. So... So this is me and Dan Vitale. No, I tell you the truth. I, I was uh, thinking when I was walking through, like the last time I stayed in any kind of decent hotels, it's like I'm in my 50s. So it's really like <laughs> my late 20s. Yeah. Maybe I caught a couple in my early 30s. I was getting like the last of like the good television work that yeah. was coming my way. Yeah. And sad to say... My only reference is that I would come in looking kind of like crazed. Yeah. And, you know, because it's like what I would do is uh, I knew that I was like, say, I was a featured player on SNL. So I knew I was getting like like 1800 a week. Yeah. So I'd go up to Broadway video and I'd wait for like Lauren's secretary and I would come up with some story about yeah. uh, you know a sick relative and uh, Con Ed's closing me off. And so I'd get an advance yeah. of like a couple of thousand. Yeah. And I'd go like, well, I can't really be around like people I know because I knew it was to come, you know. So I would go check in. I'd go, okay, let me just get a nice hotel room. I'll do my ugly business, whatever that's going to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you'd always walk in. They always had like that. Uh, I'm sure they have one here. You know, like that security yeah. place where you could go like, I'd like to leave some valuables. So what, no matter how much I got, like say I got five grand, I would take like two grand in the pocket and yeah. put three grand in the, in the box downstairs. Yeah. Go, that Nobody touches that. And then I'd, you know, call up some, you know, like, you know, degenerate Coke dealer or pick up some denizen of the street. And then like within like, you know, 20 hours, I'd be down there like sweating with like some concierge trying to talk me out of going to the, so it's like I never really got that experience of sitting there and <laughs> like, having some coffee. Yeah, and having like the nice room service. Yeah, yeah. So I moved to New York. I guess it was '89. I was living on the Lower East Side, and Silver passed me, 
at the original improv. <laughs> yes, the on original. Four, yeah, Forty Fourth Street, which at that point in '89 was it was it was like a, a decaying. It, it was it was it was it had seen its day. Well, I'll tell you. Okay, go ahead. Right. You, so I, okay, yeah. so I come in and uh, you know, like I think Kevin Brennan was working the door. I don't think Attell was working the door. Maybe no, Attell was working. I, the door. I don't know if he was was when I got here. I think he would done that thing. Maybe Stu Caymans. I think he was working. just getting off the door. Right. Yeah. And uh, and you were around, and Brett Butler was living here at that time, and you were this guy that you to me, you know, I didn't know who you were. But at that time, it's like that's Dan Vitale, and you were like, you know, you were up there sweating, and you were you work <laughs> you're working some shit through. And all I know is that they were like, oh yeah, he was on SNL, and then uh, and then it just all went bad. He, he, wow, he, uh, he, you know, yeah, like, it's true, yeah, which, but, which is true, by the way. But I mean, yeah, but go like ahead. you know, I walk in and you're doing this great comedy. I I still quote fucking jokes of yours, uh, and I give I you credit for. The, the the sort of when you hit bottom, you'd be surprised at how much give that floor has. Like it, it had a profound effect on me, but I don't think I ever really got the backstory. There was that time eighty nine to ninety one, eighty nine to ninety one, ninety two. I was here. Hicks was here for about six right. months. Yeah. And but I met you before that, and you never you you were volatile. Like yeah. you you were you were in and out of sobriety, but you just never knew when you were going to lose your shit. And then like you know you get to the improvs like oh yeah fucking Dan last night he I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But what 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 like was I the- went from like in other words it was no longer just about the comedy at that point I'd become like sort of almost like a spectacle of some well, sort, I didn't you know. see it necessarily but you no. you you heard about it yeah. like it's like when Dan got there you're like all right we'll see what happens all right, I could give you the chronology right if you need that yeah that okay so uh you know what man I I wanted to be a comedian like you know I grew up you know Queens Long Island and then like in the late 70s I just went like you know what, man? I'm going to go to New York City and I'm going to do something. Be an actor, be a comedian, yeah, be a hipster poet. Yeah, hipster, I don't know something. So I came. But wait, in, you grew up in in Queens. I was born in Queens. I mostly grew up in Long Island, man. Italian family, Italian Irish. Yeah, yeah, crazy family, man. Yeah, so yeah. My wait. mother was, uh, you know, like all the things that we know about. Like my mother was like uh, a blackout drunk. Yeah. You know, running like pharmaceuticals with the with the Seagrams long before it became hip. Right. You know, like now yeah. it's almost hip. Yeah. To be in, you know, like a, you know, oh, he just got out of rehab. You know, right. He's got some demons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my old my old lady had those demons on, like you know, like you know, middle class Long Island. You know, yeah, man. Yeah. Which, but I mean, I'm not trying to make it funny. It actually yeah. ended very bad. It, it ended did? very poorly. Yeah. That it really took her down and it and it busted up my family. But even then, you know, I'll tell you the truth, man. Uh even though there was like a real like like a, a real darkness around the family, there was also a lot of like dark laughter. Sure. And I got a feeling that's that's where I kind of got like, you know, the beginning of like my vision. Like yeah. it was like my family isn't like all the other families. You on can't sell that. Yeah, Oak right, Lane, man, right. You know? Right. What was like, your dad doing? Uh he was a very interesting guy. He'd had some uh He'd had some issues himself in the, uh, <laughs> I would say in the, uh, I, I don't really know the specifics, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I'm sure that illeg- illegality, yeah. <laughs> there was some like pending charges or something there, you know, like where it was like, when I was like seven, not quite eight, yeah. I just remember like a cardboard box being thrown into my room. You know, I'm laying there with like a little... Yeah, you know, one of them jackets with like the Yankee yeah. pennants on yeah, it. And yeah. all. It was like, put your stuff in the box. We're moving. It was like, 
<laughs> and the next thing I know, man, we were like in Florida, and like my parents were managing a motel. But it was like, it was weird, man. Oh, by the way, I remember I was just telling somebody. It's funny that I was talking to somebody the other night. It's the first time I remember this in a lot of years. Yeah. Like my family decided that since everything was blowing up in New York City, yeah, the solution to the problem somehow was going to Florida. Yeah. So we all went down to Florida. And it all like it just it didn't happen. And the next thing I know, I was being flown back to live with my aunt or something. And then I remember like a couple of years went by and they went, let's try that again. And like this, this like the same thing. Oh, but I'll tell you something really interesting. And it's actually this week. Yeah. The day that I flew back. This is the only thing I truly remember. I will never forget this. The day we flew out of Miami. Back to New York City, it was February, it had to be February 9th, 1964, because there I was getting at the airport, and there was bedlam, and there was insanity. I landed at, it wasn't called JFK then, what was it? Was it Idlewild then? I don't know. Uh, I landed at the airport the same day the Beatles landed, man, and they were doing the Sullivan Show that night. Right. So I was sitting in my Uncle Rocky's that night watching the Beatles, but I was in the airport that day. I mean, it's pretty... Yeah. Pretty yeah. amazing, historic yeah. little, you yeah, know. Yeah, I always kind of like brushed and rubbed elbows with history. Never quite got to it, you know. Like, I never really quite got to be you were, the. You were in the corner of the picture. Yeah. Who's that kid? Yeah. <laughs> There's that kid again. <laughs> that little fat kid. You know, I got I think Lennon saw, said he, he, he had a vibe on me. Yeah. That little fat kid. Uh, I think he's going to grow up and abuse drugs like myself. Uh all right, so your mom was uh, out of control, and your dad was uh, dubious. And yeah, he was, I was a great guy, and I mean, he held the family together. I'm just saying, like, uh, he, uh, you know, this wasn't, um, you know, father knows best. Yeah, so, no, I get it. Yeah, but I mean, a lot, you know, actually. You got brothers and sisters? Yeah, they're gone. No. Yeah. Dead? Yeah, dead. Yeah, I'm the I'm the survivor. <laughs> you know, I tell you the truth, though, man, I don't, uh, I used to, like, kind of hold that as, like, a, like I'm the survivor. It's true. Everybody died in my family. Like, and actually, even like obviously, my brother and sister died. I don't really want to dwell on the tragedy aspect. I will if you want me to. But for the was it all the was it all uh, yeah, the same it was pretty shit? dark stuff. No, actually, I mean, well, I'll tell you in a nutshell, man. Like, uh, my mother stayed in Florida. Yeah, and so like when I was twelve, it was like Christmas. My sister was going to go visit her. And she got killed by a drunk driver at the airport mm -hmm. going down to visit her. Mm -hmm. You know what, man? Like, that was, like, sort of, for all intents and purposes, like, the end of, like, childhood. Yeah. You know, it's like, at that point, I started seeing the world in a much, even, like, at, at, like at 13 or 14, like, I started being drawn into, like, you know, I just saw the world in a darker Dark. way. No, yeah, I, sure. I, I, I lost all my... Right. The if idea. I in fact had any childhood idealism or, or innocence, or yeah, 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 innocence, yeah. yeah, and it's like, um, you know, I've often thought about that, like, because it's like, it wasn't until like, like years ago, like I kind of like locked that down, all that stuff, yeah, yeah, in my childhood, I, I, I kind of like just like closed the door on it and yeah. went like, okay, you know what, that closet will never be open. Actually. I'm not. I'm going to close the closet, yeah. but I'm going to let what's in there dictate my life. 
But I tell you, I will tell you a funny story. My father had a little coffee shop for a while. Like it was an alleged business and there was like, you know, there was actually like uh, a Long Island Railroad, like sort of like a uh, couple hours in the morning where yeah. they sold a lot of coffee and stuff. Yeah. Some breakfast. Donuts. But there were like the rest of the day was like, you know, like uh, very suspect guys hanging out with my father using the payphone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, like, right. So um, and there was a topless bar across the street. And so the strippers used to come in and hang out. So I got to know, like, you know, I was like, you know, trying to grab a few bucks out of the till. Uh, this is like f from my teens, yeah. like through high school. Yeah. So I didn't really like have a job work. I was just like, I'd show up and maybe like help out for like an hour in the morning. Yeah. Then I'd go to school. And then like, if I wasn't too stoned, I'd come back and like mop the floor. But there was no like, you know, <laughs> salaries. This was just like my father said to me, kid. There's the till. You need some, you grab it. There, you know what I mean? That was like, it was, uh, he was famous. He had a very laid back philosophy. Not on the books. My old man would like, he'd hang his pants like over the chair and then he'd go sit. He'd stare at this like black and white TV. And he'd just be watching TV and he'd just be chain smoking. And he would drink coffee all, I don't know how it didn't affect him. That he, could, he could possibly sleep. I mean, this guy's on crystal meth that... And then he would just go like, hey, kid, don't, you know what? We don't have that kind of thing. You got to come to me. Just if you need something, that's it. There's no bank accounts. There's no it's nothing. In the it's, it's there. In the it's, no, it's in the pants. In other words, just go in the pants. If it ain't there, there's no looking, you know? So <laughs> that's, a, that's the extent to the savings. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, that, that was it. There was no CDs, no, uh, you know, the certificates of deposit or nothing. Anyway, I get get it in my head that I'm going to be, you know what, you got to understand something. Like, I'm I'm not that much older than you, but a little bit. I'm 50. Oh. All right, I got you by about seven years. Yeah. So, you remember like when Freddie, do you remember Freddie Prince hitting it on The Tonight Show? Kind of. That's the thing, man. That was like a big deal for like a lot of people, I think, my age was that, Suddenly, this 19-year-old kid went out on The Tonight Show and instantly became an overnight yeah. sensation. Yeah. And so, like, I had it in my head. I'm going to go to the improv. I'm going to be a comedian. And I'm going to be He was still famous. in New York then. Freddie? Yeah. I didn't know him. I mean, I was just a teenager. He started here. Yeah, I think he grew yeah. up here. He started at the improv. Right. How old? Oh, God. I was like a teenager, like 16, 17, 17. Yeah. And you made the decision. You were like... Yeah, because I was always a funny kid, man. Yeah. It was like something I always wanted to do. But uh, I think up until then, my uh, my notion, my my definition of a comedian was more like, uh, and which still isn't a bad definition. It was like Don Rickles, Rodney. Yeah. No, they're great. Yeah, and I've uh, well, the guys from the Tonight Show yeah, and the too. Ed Sullivan Show, yeah, like because we have we're we're like minded in that. It's like in my heart, you know. And I was just talking to some other guy about this. Those were the guys that 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 put it in me. Do you know, like, I mean, those in, in, in whatever I wanted to do or whatever, you know, pursuit of truth I had or whoever my heroes right. were later in life, they, they were usually heroes because, like, oh, they're on the edge, man. They're pushing the envelope. But, you know, you go back to those guys, even Rodney, who was underappreciated, they're oh. the fucking best. Yeah, and actually, if you look back now, you realize that, like, yeah, they weren't wearing the hipster clothing. Right. And they weren't, like, you know, there was nothing. But, like, if you really look at it, man, it was the they pure were, soul. Yeah, they of, were out of, of control, The pure man. soul of a comedian. They were having a great time. They oh, yeah. I had a friend of mine who told me that uh, Rodney, apparently, at one point, somebody of mine was out there. He was 
writing films and stuff. He told me that Charlie Sheen had an apartment and Rodney had the apartment upstairs. Yeah. And that they'd be having parties and then like Rodney would come down. I'd be like, he had to be like 80 in his 80s. Oh, yeah. But he was like. Well, that's what he hit when he was like 70. You know, because of the movies. Right. Didn't you tell me? I think it was you. For some reason, I remember like the things that you were like at the comedy store. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like you were just kind of new. Getting, yeah. You were hanging out. And all of a sudden, a cab pulled up. Yeah. And Rodney stuck his head out and yeah. went, where's Sam? Yeah. He was like yeah. in his 70s. Oh, yeah. He used to get out. You know, he'd have his own drink. He'd be in a bathrobe. There's a great story that, uh, who was it? Oh, Carl LeBeau told me. You'll love it. That you know, because you know, Sam confided in Rob Rodney and Rodney. They were they they were kindred spirits. So there was a lot of you know after after Sam after Rodney put him on the special and put him in back to school. You know that you know Sam really looked at him as a as a mentor and and as a guy who who gave him his break. Sure. But apparently, like one time, you know, Sam been up three days. He was fucked up. He was at the house, and you know, he's you know, he's at the end of a three day run. And Rodney walked into the house and said, "Ooh, look at little Nero." <laughs> That's pretty good. Look at little Nero. <laughs> oh, I just remember Rodney used to come into the improv, and he'd pull up in like a a limo or yeah. like you know, like a driver. Yeah. And then he this is like in the early nineties. Yeah. He would come in, and he was wearing like, and it hadn't be. It was like you know, guys would wear those little like waist bags. packs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he'd go, "Well, where's the men's room, kid?" And he'd go in there. He'd go up on stage, and I'd be like, "I think he's wired, man." <laughs> like the guy was like sixty-five or seventy, and he got up there. And what I remember was like, you know, like I like even though I had like some, you know, I made some moves in my life. I, you know, I've been around some bit. Yeah. But like I've always been a little bit in awe of celebrity. Yeah, I always have sure, been. Me too. Just, yeah. So I remember like uh, you know the, the manager would go like, oh, "Listen, just bring ask Rodney what you want him, what he wants you to say, and then just bring him right up." So I'd be like, uh, "Rodney, just tell him I'm a friend of the I'm a friend of the club. Who wants to go up and." T-. So I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna I am I'm emceeing. I'm gonna watch Rodney." And he would go up, and the handful of times that I saw him at the Improv. It was like a completely different Rodney. Like you remember Rodney with that yeah. great character, that that yeah. wonderful twitchy and that twitchy and sort of like self-effacing. Yeah, and then those brilliant one-liners. Yeah, and he would go up and he would grab the mic and he started like working the crowd. He'd be like, "Yeah, look at this guy over here, this bald fuck." And I was like, he was like suddenly working like Rickles, like an yeah. insult comic. And I guess it was just like I don't know if he was high. He had a couple. Of, but like, I guess he just needed to get his thing yeah, yeah. Like in other words, like, hey, I don't want to always be so perfect. You yeah, know, I have to get these. Girls. But I just remember watching it. He go up, a, yeah, look at this one over here. Yeah. Where'd you meet this putan? Yeah, and then, and then like he go, all right, thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah, and of course the people were just like, ah, they couldn't believe that for the price they were paying, they saw Rodney. Yeah, so they were thrilled. But I remember like. What, what was the point? <laughs> like, in other words, like you're working on that, <laughs> like, right? But but you know, now as a as an older guy, you, you know that you know he just needed to get up there. Well, the hell, who the hell knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe there was twelve people in the room. What's he going to do? I yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I hear you. Oh, actually, I mean, listen, I've never, I've never like I've done some, you know, I've had moments where I was like, you know, I could work some mainstream comedy, and I, but I've never gotten past the point my favorite thing on planet earth is to work in front of like 12 people yeah yeah that are scattered around yeah and half of them don't really want to be there <laughs> and then like 
if you could somehow lure them in, yeah, you know, man, it's a victory. Yeah, it's better than like killing with a full room. Well, I, t- you know what, man, you used I- to open your set with like, you know, I got a feeling we're not gonna. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what's funny? I heard you say that. Uh, that's how we actually got in touch because a buddy of mine, yeah, called me up. He goes, "Hey, listen, man, it was bizarre. I was up at like six in the morning, and I was at my buddy's, and I, was- I guess he had a link to Jim Norton, and so then Norton was on your podcast, yeah. so he went and listened, and he goes, I." He's playing me your podcast, and I got like a cell phone from like you know, right? To, and I'm listening. So like I go, I call him up. He goes, they were talking about you on Mar- So I guess you and Dom were talking about me at the South by Southwest. Oh, Tommy okay, Gun. yeah. So I listened. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, man. These guys remember. So then the next day, uh, I moved. I moved from a building. I moved into another better building across the street. So I was moving, and I like knew I had to throw a bunch of stuff out. So. I keep stuff in boxes. Yeah. So like I was going through a box. It's like I got this is all like comedy material and stuff with phone numbers I'm never going to use. And I found this little scrap of paper and it said Mark Marin and a nine one seven number. Yeah. And I went and my friend was sitting there right with me and I went, What are the chances this guy would still have this number? I haven't seen him. She went, Well, take a shot. <laughs> and I immediately hit it. You just answered like as if we'd been talking. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Mark. So, yeah, but I, I do remember you said that on the podcast. You went, yeah, he would go up and and start by going, I don't, I don't think we're going to get along. I guess I did that sometimes. But I think, you know what? I actually thought that you might have had me confused with, like, Larry David. No, no. Because he would actually. Much. You would get up, though. No, no, I remember it. You would do maybe one joke, <laughs> and, and it would be like, all right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I did have a very low threshold for, like, in other words, like. Like, I guess if you're a really professional comedian of any or seasoned on any level, you would assume that a guy who'd been doing it like for off and on 10, 15 years yeah. would know that, especially given like the lateness of the spot right. and the randomness of the audience, that maybe the first line isn't going to kill, you know? Yeah. And like, I would go up, but you know what? I was so, like, I was kind of crazy in those days because it was like, I I guess I could perform, so I wasn't at my worst, like in terms well, of think, like using stuff. But I right. I clearly wasn't like completely sane. But I think that I I I think what we share is that there, for some reason, when you get up there uh, in that moment, a lot hinges on it. You you, yeah. you you don't feel like you're entertaining. You're you're sort of like you know this is everything that I've been right. is happening right now, and it's all hinging on your approval for some fucked up reason. <laughs> I know. Well, and actually, I think we might actually be even more similar in this regard. Uh, for some reason, like over the years, maybe it's like my Italianness or something. I used yeah. to slick back my hair and go smoke. For some reason, a lot of people were the, under the impression that I was like some cool guy who'd seen a lot, <laughs> like who'd seen a lot of life. Yeah, right. and like, oh, yeah, this yeah, guy, yeah. he's he's yeah. been to the other side, right? And and in some ways, that's true. Right. But I don't think that I ever took the stage as a comedian, ever, that I didn't approach as my hand first held the microphone and looked at it at the audience, that I wasn't like some scared yeah, little prom girl who just want I so need your love. Oh, please. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. I was Judy Garland, yeah. man. I was Wait, the, the weird thing is, is that that's what we're feeling, yeah. but there's nothing but rage in our eyes. <laughs> right. No. And the weird thing is, like, at least you have, like, the cool, 
kind of like you know you've always had like a cooler look because yeah. you got the glasses right, yeah, and, you know yeah. it's all but bullshit. like me man like from the 80s to the 90s like i put on 100 pounds yeah so i went from like looking like sort of like a de niro in mean streets yeah. to like uh, tony salerno you know so it, like it even seemed crazier that this big italian fucking yeah. aggressive guy it would be so like, sensitive people didn't really know that. like the last thing they were thinking was like he really needs us to support him we need you know it's like and that's all man you know see the thing about me is that like comedy and like my life and it's why it's always so hard like when I, when I stop doing it it's always so hard for me to go back because like comedy was never just like some art form yeah, yeah, no, or it's... business thing like hey you're pretty good at this you might be able to make a few it was always like the thing that defined me, like yeah. where I was working out my thing. Yeah, me too. Like, you know, it's like it was life or death in some yeah. weird way. So it's like a war that like, yeah. You remember that movie, <laughs> Black Hawk Down? Yeah. I always remember this, man. You, you saw it? Yeah. You remember at the end when they finally get through the thing and the guys are shooting a guy who's shot in the neck and they finally get back to the compound and they're back and they're bleeding and one guy's and one guy goes over and he starts grabbing ammo, putting stuff. I think it's Josh Hartnett, if yeah, I remember, yeah. the actor. And he goes, what are you doing? He goes, we're going back. We There's still a couple of vans there. We got." He goes, we're going back. I'm not going back. What are you, crazy? And the guy just looks at him and goes, yeah, well, you could go back or not, but you'll live with it the rest of your life. And then I'm not even sure if he goes back. And I hope he didn't, actually. Yeah. But, but – for me, man, like comedy's always been some sort of like on some level, oh, yeah. like a war with myself. Yeah. I was never a war with the audience. Yeah. There was never a war with the club yeah. guys. That was just an excuse, you know. Right. But and that's what they're watching, though. I'm the same way, and that must be yeah. why I'm so compelled towards you. Is that you know they're not they're watching a guy like uh, I don't know who's going to win here with yeah. with with you. Like, who's, yeah. who's going to win right. that war that's going on on stage with that one guy? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> this is so interesting that you asked me this because I was thinking about this. Yeah. Um, it's like, the thing is that the best comedy that I ever did. See, like, I got known, like, you remember some of my bits. Yeah. And I remember, like, Dom was reminding you of a bit. Right. And, like, there's bits that people remember of mine. Like, I could write. But my best stuff was... When I was working and I just, and this developed over years. It didn't just happen. Right. It just, and in fact, it developed to the point where when I stopped performing in like mainstream clubs. Yeah. Like I'd be doing like the later days of Rocky Sullivan's with Credico. Yeah. Where it would just be me, him, and like John Marshall. And there were like a dozen people who listened to BAI. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. they would show up every week. Right. And then like a handful I of stragglers. That. Yeah. But this was like the end days. Yeah. Like, like. All the guys would, you know, like real names that were happening were gone. Yeah. And so Randy, uh, I had gone to like my last rehab in like 2005. Yeah. And when I came out, Randy was still going. So I was like, I had nothing going. So I started going to Rocky Sullivan's on a Tuesday night. And Randy would be like, hey, I'd be like Whitney Brown or right. Barry Crimmins might show up once in a blue moon. Right. But mostly it was me and Randy. And he'd go, well, just go up and do your thing, man. Go ahead. So, like, I hadn't performed for a couple of years, and I was, again, trying to reclaim my sobriety. So, of course, there was that first night where I'm doing, like, a set list, like, yeah. uh, transvestite, uh, Italian guys. Yeah. Like, as if I needed to remember that. Yeah. And then suddenly I'd start talking about, like, where I'd been the last couple of years. And then suddenly I'd see, like, oh, everybody got their attention. 
Because it's and, real. And then week after week, and finally got to the point, man, where I was doing like 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm telling you, Mark, maybe five minutes was stuff I thought about. Yeah. The rest was all off the top of my head. The best. But this had been developing over years where I knew, and it's like, it's kind of like a, uh, it's like a, a trick. It's like a magic trick that you really can't like sell to any casino. Like, right. here's the thing. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. But if you let me do this. It might but, happen. But there's a chance it doesn't. And it's like, well, what do I do? That's it. Like, here's the pitch. I'm very inconsistent. <laughs> it's really hit or miss. I can't but, guarantee you nothing. But if I hit, it's going to be great for me. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, where are you going with that? Who are you selling that to? What agent is going, Dan, sit down. Yeah. I've been thinking hard on this. <laughs> this whole, I don't have an act. I don't know. Where, I'm going to back you out. Yeah, yeah, really. But you know what it is, too, man. But yeah. the reason I say this is. But that, that is a victory in the war that you're talking about. That The, the war with yourself. when you, Yes. Oh, absolutely, Mark. Yeah. I, I got to tell you. But you know what? I know this might sound like the height of hubris for me to be saying this. But you have, the, you I have became, earned that. <laughs> I be, yes, I have. <laughs> I've become, a, a, by not caring, Yeah. I've become a way better comedian than from the days when I was really like trying to like, uh, what time's Marathon? Yeah. 10.50? Oh, fuck. Who's got the next spot? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I can understand a tell, but I should be on before Man for Lardy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, uh, what? Yeah. Stu Kamen says yeah. the midnight? Yeah. I'm, I, you know, but like I was trying to, to find my way in the mainstream of things, and it's like, yeah, it, it would have been great if it worked out. I'd have a great, like, after a pension now. But I don't think we were trying to find our way in that. I think we were trying to find ourselves. I, I think that's some weird thing about me because, like, I'm in the same way. I didn't have, like, you know, a plan. I just wanted to be a fucking comedian on yeah, my own right, terms. Right. And, and I really didn't even take into mind the fact that, like, I wasn't even that concerned with entertaining. You know, right. you know what I mean? It's just sort of like if this hits, if we, if I hit it, it's gonna be great for everybody, right? Right, right. right so right, let's yeah. just see if that happens. Now I do remember this, yeah. like when I met you, I'd say that's around ninety-ish, early nineties. At the same time, Hicks had been around, but that's the first time that I became yeah. friends with him because right. he was in New York. He was, and he I was remember angry. you and I and him. Went tried to, to get to, to, to Times Square one on night. New Year's. Yeah, that was, was the New closest Year's. I ever came to it. Yeah, we we, we got didn't get into blocks. the crowd. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't. And we ran back to the fucking improv. <laughs> yeah, right? Didn't we go see Silence of the Lambs or something? I don't know if we did. Maybe you guys did. Uh, I don't remember going to the movies with him. But I remember like uh, me and Hicks hit it off, and uh, we had like a real mutual respect society, you know? Yeah. And uh, but I gotta tell you, like, if I ever saw a guy who was less concerned. See, I got to tell you something. I actually think there is some like seed in me of that kid who used to watch the Ed Sullivan yeah. show, who wanted to like sort of entertain, yeah, no, yeah. like be Jack Carter or Jan well, Murray, to be a comedian. But like, I'd watch Hicks sometimes, and it'd be like, and it's funny looking back, and that is like twenty. He could not get over on New York audiences. Like there was, I always felt that he was always angry, but they yeah. just in, in a fifteen-minute chunk. For a New York audience, I really think they were immediately they're like, "What is he yelling?" I mean, it was just it was amazing to watch. There were two guys, and I guess since I have, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I, but I always felt that like he he pushed the "you're not digging me" card way too soon. Yeah, as I'm sure I did 
But I think I did it just out of like, you know, self-collapsing fear. Yeah. Just like, okay, this, I, you know, sweating yeah. and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. insecure and just like, oh my. But like, I, I got a feeling like Bill, you know, this isn't a criticism because yeah. he was my buddy and he deserves all the, you know, acclaim he's gotten and, you know, since his death as well. But I always used to watch and go like, you know, I think he's pushing this like, you're not digging me card a little too soon. Yeah. And I'm sure that I did that as well. Where, yeah. But I think I was doing mine out of more fear, like well, yeah, he, fear yeah, base. He wanted know? the distance, I think. I think he, he liked, uh, you know, having this singular tone and, and having his own kind of time zone with things. Like he sort of thrived on that. That like his, you know, his whole tone, the misanthropy of what he was doing was to establish his point of view. And I, I, don't, I don't really believe... I think he was an amazing joke writer, and I think he knew that. And I and I really think he liked having that space to sort yeah. of like think out loud without worrying about that, right? You know, I tell you, you know, one of my proudest moments was yeah. he came up to me at the bar one night at the Improv, and I guess it's kind of hard to believe that there was a time when like people were still listening to stuff on cassette tapes. Yeah, and I guess his uh, his new comedy album had come out. Yeah. And he came over to me and he handed it to me and he goes, hey, man, I just want to give you that. You really taught me a lot about comedy. And I was like, like, wow. It was like truly one of the most genuine, like, yeah. great compliments. Like, hey, yeah. yeah, that's right. My man, this like guy who really people really dig. You know, it really made, you know, there's like one of those things that you, you remember that go like, wow, man, that was special. You yeah, know? yeah. He's still like watching you. Special. I remember him sitting in the back of the room and he was the first guy that I ever... I think I told Brian Regan that. Like, Brian Regan came in, and Hicks came into the room, and he's like, I love watching this guy. And I had to sit there, and like, in, in like, because he appreciated comedy. You yeah, know, Hicks yeah, yeah. did. He, but he was one of those guys where, you know, you'd see him, and you'd, you'd be like, he was trying to work things out, man. Right, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know what's great, though? You just Brian Regan, who I love Brian Regan. Yeah. As a guy, he was a great guy. Yeah. But he's a tremendous comedian. Great. And they never really seemed to be working a lot of stuff out. There was a no, guy was who a- was just had like great material. Yeah. And he did this kind of like he would get into this character, this kind of, and then he'd, he'd accented at times this really like insanely nerdy character. Yeah. And uh, the weirdos. And I mean, I haven't seen him in years. And I could, I mean, once in a while, I'll see him on like Letterman yeah. and all. But I mean, there was a guy, see, there's the thing. He was almost like a true direct lineage of those guys that yeah, we were talking comics, about like yeah. the ed sullivan guys yeah the Real tonight show guys yeah mike douglas yeah because there was no like you never saw brian and thought oh boy brian's had a rough day <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, wonder, yeah I, brian. Wonder, I wonder if he's gonna get over <laughs> yeah. on the crowd tonight hey, hey, let me tell you something no matter how he does tonight he's on his way to detox yeah <laughs> let me tell no, you. Yeah. No. there was never any of that no. man guy would come in and everybody would be happy yeah he was like hickey and nice man cometh you yeah, know? He'd yeah come in and all the denizens of the bar would like uh hey brian's here you know they'd go in and it was like 20 minutes of joy yeah exactly. watching like a really funny comedian yeah, yeah. and you go and You'd laugh, your, and then he would go into the night. There yeah. was no like, "Hey, can you get me something?" Yeah, or no, none of that. No. Like, yeah. I had to cut him off. <laughs> like, yeah, it was yeah. so refreshing. Yeah. Well, I think we romanticized that shit. I mean, oh, know, can... way too much, man. But let's. But just out of curiosity, though. Um. So, like, what was the beginning? When did you first come in and start doing comedy? How old were oh. you? Well, I moved to the city. I guess I was like. Uh, I want to say I was 19. I might have been like just turned 20. I went mm-hmm. to college for like a year. I was like a year. 
late getting out of high school. Yeah. Because I'd cut classes for yeah. like the better part of three years. So it took me like a year to like find. Then they had like what they called a free school. Yeah. It was like from the Billy Jack thing where it was like these <laughs> hippie teachers in the yeah, early yeah. 70s who you'd sit around on like foam talking about your feelings. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that and I went, oh, there's my ticket out. Yeah. Because like, so I went and then I went to like a community college, Nassau Community College. Uh, I was going to be like an actor and all that. But I was always like funny and yeah. I kind of knew that that's the thing I wanted to do. So I guess I was like about, maybe I just turned 20 and I just was like, you know, <laughs> my father's coffee shop was now, <laughs> there weren't really that many, it was just those guys hanging out. And like, yeah, those strippers <laughs> from the uh, yeah. the coach car in across yeah. the road there. So I remember one day I just made up my mind, like uh, I met a guy, he was like some old doctor and he knew somebody in the village who'd rent me a room for like, I mean, it's like. Late, this is in the 70s, so it was yeah. like 30, 35 bucks a week. Wow. For like a furnished room. Yeah. So I was like, hey, you know what? I'm doing this. Yeah. So one day, I, I always remember this. Uh, there was these strippers. I forget her name was Chrissy or something. And you know, like, when you're like 19 or 20 and you're still like, you know, maybe like you got some baby fat and a couple of people and some stripper, some jaded stripper, it's like, you, you know, like, oh, my God. So I was like trying to impress her. I told her like, you know, I'm moving to the city. I'm, I'm going to go after my, you know, be an actor. And she got so nervous. She butted out her cigarette and started screaming to my father. Nick, you better talk to this kid. He's out of his mind. He thinks he's getting on that train and he's going to go into the city and be an actor. And I was like, why is this scaring you? So, you know, what I mean, like yeah. and I realized like she probably had like some dreams that she could never. So I tell you, man, I had like some beat up. It's almost like, you know, like a Lou Reed song, standing on a corner, suitcase. Yeah. I mean, I had the city, I had the room. I was working in some like bad jobs. And, you know, man, I just I went out and I just like did open mics and I sucked. Where I like mean, the in the village at the. Where were well, they this is like 70s. So like the places that even if I could remember their names, they've long. Uh, oh, I mean, I would go to the improv. You could audition once a month. Yeah. Or you can go to the comic strip and audition once a month. Or catch, you could go once a week. Yeah. And I would go. And, like, in the early days, like, like I wasn't even, like, modeling myself after, like, say, Rodney. Yeah. Do you remember? I'm sure you probably don't even remember this comedian, Jackie Vernon. Yeah, I love Jackie with Vernon. A, he had that real dead pad. Yeah, he would do those one. With but, the, the slideshow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved him. Brilliant. I loved him. But... The thing is, that was a subtle kind of thing that, yeah. like, a guy spends years developing that. Yeah. And I was like a 20-year-old kid who thought I was going to be, like, the next Jackie Vernon. I was writing all these one-liners. It's weird, because he was the first guy that really resonated with me. It's weird that you had Did you that. really? Yeah, I went and saw him with my parents when he came to Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was, like, 11 or 12 years really? old. Because I was such a huge fan. And he was doing these lounges. You know, he did the Hilton Inn, the lounge at the Hilton Inn. And I was like, I begged my parents to take me, and they took me. And I sat right up front and watched Jackie Vernon, and it changed my life, you know? Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So then, yeah. I know him, yeah. So, but I was up there, man. I was trying to do these, like, one-liners, yeah. and it was just, it really wasn't anything. But uh, I started meeting some guys, like, do you remember a guy, I don't know if you know him, his name was Terry Day. Like, I was, like, 20, and I was yeah. sitting on line outside of Catch every Monday, you'd sit on line, or... And Terry Day was like about 40, mm -hmm. 40 something. And he'd come in from San Francisco and he was like kind of older and hipper. And he'd like watch me and he'd go like, you know, you got something. It's not there yet. But like, I think you and, uh, you know, I just I just really couldn't put it together, man. And then um, 
I'd work like uh, there was a buddy of mine, this guy Tom Saunders. I think mm-hmm. he wound up writing like for Arrested Development, but we were like a comedy team. Yeah, and we were doing like sketches and yeah. all. And uh, so we were at the comic strip, and then uh, I got into some plays. I was doing some acting, and so yeah. then that was going to be the thing. Like yeah. I was going to be like Marlon Brando, right? And then uh, finally, I started hanging out in the village. Like just there was a, they're not there anymore. Well, the, the bitter end is still there, but next to the bitter end was a place called the Dugout. Yeah, and it was just this like funky, beat up joint, and there was this woman named Rosie, and she was like a real big heavy broad and she would like she was like a real village character and she would run this monday night show and all these lunatics would go up and my buddy neil was the bartender there and he goes hey i'll talk to rosie i'll put you up and it was the first place it's like it was sawdust on the floor and like you know some drunken nyu kids but i go up and it was like the first place like say around 81 82 that i started feeling like i started developing a voice where like yeah, like I'd have to go up with some jokes, but then what became funnier was the the space between the jokes, yeah. the being on stage. Yeah. And uh, around that time, a guy comes in one night, and uh, he goes, Danny, I want you to meet my friend Rockets. Do you remember Rockets, Rockets Red Glare? Yeah. yeah. So Rockets was watching me, and he wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. So he's like, hey, man, maybe you could do some of these things with me in the East Village. So that... Like, I had this, like, sort of, like, little run in the East Village. Actually, you know who was uh, hanging out? Uh, uh, remember Steve Buscemi? Yeah. Steve Buscemi? Sure. Was, like, a buddy with Rockets. Yeah. Oh, and then the big thing that really probably helped me, like, go from, like, being, like, this non-entity to being any sort of entity was that uh, Dave Heenan, who's quite a character. I remember him. You remember Heenan? Yeah. So he came up to me. I knew Dave from the village. Yeah. And he goes, Danny, I'm going to federal prison. I need you to watch my gig. So he gave me, I took over the Tuesday night at the bitter end. And it was just like, it was like the beginning of like my life, you know, because like, it was like, they'd let me drink. I could drink. And because I was the MC and there was no real, like, you know, I could go up there and it's like, do as much time as I wanted to. And so sometimes they would like, uh, like the person booking the joint would ask me like, can you put Dennis Blair on? Okay. I'd be like, yeah, okay, put Dennis yeah. Blair on. But most of the time, it would be like, you know, it was just like guys trying to get on, and it'd be like, yeah, come on down, man, but I'll put you. And I actually had like a little following, and so all of a sudden I'd be like on, you know, it's like it was a great stage too, man, because I had like room to yeah. move, and I was still kind of skinny. Yeah. I was like skinny in those days. Yeah. I was like kind of handsome. So like, you know, and it was like it was like that first beautiful moment, that sweet spot where like, Booze is working for you. It's not working against you. The Coke was coming around, but yeah. like you couldn't really afford to get too crazy anyway. Yeah. And like you just had this freedom because you didn't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, I did that for like about, I'd say, a year, like every Tuesday. And I probably did like a couple of hours every Tuesday. And then I'd go do these other little, and guys would come up to me and go, like, uh, yeah, man, you're really good. You should be, like, at the improv. Like, you're better than a lot of guys at catching the improv. I was like, yeah, man, I should be at the improv. Yeah. So I walk by the improv, and I look in through the window, and I see Dom, who I knew yeah. know, from knocking Dom around. Dom Herrera, yeah. So I walk in, I see Herrera, and I, he's talking to some, like, really skinny guy with, like, who's, like, pale, like, almost, like, white skin, 
who looks like he's going to die. So like, hey, Tom, hey, man, I saw you in the window. How you doing? He's like, yeah, Danny. He goes, oh, hey, you know David? It was freaking David Bowie. He was talking to Bowie. And it was like, this is like around 82. Yeah. So was, I was like, oh, this is like the place. This, <laughs> you know, I've got Steve Forbert hanging out at the Bitter End. This is like <laughs> Bowie's hanging out with bro. Bowie. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I auditioned and... I was re- I'd really become a good comedian, like you know, yeah, whatever. Oh no, yeah, yeah. In my twenties, you know, and Silver would not pass me. The weird thing is that Silver all the Friedman. Guy, Silver Friedman, who ran the club, she just she wouldn't pass me, and I would go in. And what's weird was that all the guys who like were already at the Improv knew me because they would come down to the other clubs that I was doing, like sweeps in the bitter end, try and get like spots that paid on the weekends. So they'd be like. When they'd bring me up on the audition night, they didn't bring me up. They would be like, oh, this guy uh, is one of my favorite comedians. And I'd go up, and I mean, like, I'm telling you, Mark, I would kill. I would, like, hammer. I would bang the room, and the woman would not pass me. And then, like, one night after just, like, I mean, like, annihilating the room, like, what? Uh, she just, like, sort of in a way that you're like, well... Everyone else seems to think you're pretty funny. So she passed me. And to her credit, it's like, I, I don't want to paint like that bad a picture of her. Because she did like jump me right in. Like usually if you passed in those days. Yeah, like, you got to uh, start late night. In the 80s. Yeah, it was like late night. You hang yeah. around. And like I kind of, she let me jump to the head of the line in a hurry. Yeah. Like I almost immediately started like emceeing weekend shows yeah. and getting like good, like, you know, those 11 10, 50 spots. Yeah. So I got going real quick. And it, it was just a matter of months. And then one night, uh, this woman, Sherry Fortis, came in. She was looking at people for Lorne Michaels. It was called The New Show. Right. It was the show he was, the first show he was doing after he left SNL in 1980. Right. So this is like around 83. Yeah. So she came in. She caught me on a great night and uh, called me into audition for Lorne. And uh, talk about, uh, you know, like when you say uh, this isn't working. I remember going in, like everybody was there. It was like right around here. It was like 54th Street. There was like some big studio. So when I got to the audition, man, it was like, you know, in the afternoon. And, you know, I'm like a night creature. You know? Yeah. So I was like, I'm, I'm there to audition for Lauren Michaels. And so there was everybody that you ever but like not just like comedians it was like uncle floyd was there yeah. it was like guys you saw like on cable late night cable TV. uncle floyd i think is uh jimmy vivino's brother is that right i mean uncle oh, that gu- sounds like it could be right the guitar player for conan and i think he still yeah. performs yeah. in uh, yeah. new jersey he like still has the show right is that yeah floyd vivino jimmy Vivino? Yeah. yeah that sounds right i think it's i think it is i just learned that like two weeks ago or, uh, over there yeah so i guess i always it was like one of those things you kind of knew yeah i did like you know justin Timberlake and Ryan Gosling were uh, roommates Mouse, yeah. when they were in the Disney. Yeah, uh, yeah, Where yeah. they were Musketeers. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's crazy, right? Yeah. So they're all there. And I remember thinking, like, hey, I'm getting a little nervous, you know. This is, like, a big deal. Because, like, Lauren Michaels. Yeah. So I go downstairs, and there was a bar there. And I figured I'll just have, like, that one yeah. shot. To... So I, And I did. I just had, like, a stiff shot of Jack Daniels. And then I went back up. And uh, I remember, like, Alan Havey, who wound up getting the show... He was there, and he had a bit about, like, soap on a rope. Yeah. And he had the soap around his neck. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing any props for this. I'm just going to go in. Yeah. It's like, so, again, this is, like, the first time that being, like, the guy who thinks he's going to work the moment. Yeah. So I go into this room, and it wasn't just Lauren Michaels. It was literally, like, 
all these people that you kind of like revered from like not only SNL, but like SCTV, like Dave Thomas. Yeah. And uh, I think Candy might have been there. And uh, pretty sure Penny Marshall was there. And uh, there's just all these people, uh, Buck Henry. Yeah. There's like all these guys that like you'd grown up in the like, audience. Like, just like sitting yeah. at this like sort of big desk yeah. with Lorne. Yeah. So I got up and uh, somebody said, oh, this is Dan Vitale, blah, blah, blah. And I said, hey, it's great. Yeah, guys, you know, I was coming down. And I started to try and get that rhythm yeah. going. And yeah. then I was, because cause my material never was just like, oh, here's the material. You right. had to work in organically. Yeah. You know, hey, man, you know, I woke up today and it's like, yeah, so I'm going to audition for And I started doing the thing and they were not reacting at all. They were just staring blankly. And it only took like a minute or two. And I just went, hey, you know what? I got a better idea. Why don't all you fucking people go fuck yourselves, man? I grabbed my jacket. I went, yeah, shove it. Are you going to sit there, fucking stare at me? Go fuck you, man. And I walked out and I was like punching the elevator. And Sherry Fortis came out and she went, damn, she had seen me at the improv, killer. He was like, oh, here's my new find. And she went, what? What happened? I I went. I I don't know. <laughs> she goes, Dan. Um, Lorne had told everybody to not react because they would burn themselves out laughing, trying to laugh right. at everybody, and it would come off disingenuous. So right. that's why they weren't. But they were listening to you. And I went. Oh, I'm so. I went home and I was just like my first big audition. I so then like I don't know. It might have been like Pat Pat Buckles yeah. was like managing and uh, I don't know whatever it was. I got some. I got somebody to call Sherry and explain that Dan was, you know. So they actually let me come back and audition again. And for some reason, the second time, like I just kind of like, I did a spin on what I had done, right? And what a jerk I'd been. And now I was like really kissing up to them. Yeah. And it was another one of those like sort of improv moments, but this time it worked. Right. And I just saw Lauren like Lauren kind of like nodding like, "Okay, now I get you." Yeah. And uh he actually uh I mean, I wound up doing the new show, and I did a pilot for my own sitcom with Joe Montana called yeah. Big Shots in America. And then I got hired for his first season back. But he was actually sort of like my mentor for like I'd say like two, two and a half years where like I would be up at his office like almost every week. He'd have me up to his apartment, and he was taking me out. He got me a some development money from NBC to not go work anywhere. So yeah. it was like the first like real time of my life. What did you, know? you learn from him though when he sat and talked to him? I mean, what was the impression? You know, one thing that jumps out at me that it's funny coming from this conversation that I always remember was like, because, you know, like the other night me and you were talking on the phone real quick and I just went like, Mark, I'd love to do the podcast, but the sooner the better because yeah. I fold under pressure. Right. Like if I have another day to think of it, I may think of a reason that I can't do. So Lauren would say to me like sometimes when like I would like, he'd go, you know, he'd see me, he'd come to the improv all the time and he'd bring in people and he'd come in like a lot. And he said, you know, man, he goes, really great comedians got to stand up there and take the bullets. And I don't think you're ready. To, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you're not there yet. You don't just take the bullets. You like fold under the bullets. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like in a great cop movie, the guy's like yeah, <laughs> shooting yeah. it out. Yeah. Like I'm the guy who, as soon as he got shot just at, fumbling like, the gun. Yeah, yeah. So, like you know, Barney <laughs> Fife or something. You know, like with the yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like looking back, that was really uh, 
it's something that I always remembered because like I got, you know, like even like at Rocky Sullivan's, I get up there and I go like, I know I'm going to do like close to an hour and I know I'm going to wind up having fun, but these first 10 minutes are going to be dreadfully painful. Yeah. I just got to get through. I have to like, you know what I mean? And that's something I couldn't do when I was younger. But um, what did I learn from him? You know, looking back, he was a great guy and he really, I've I've thought about him a lot over the years. It's like, yeah, there was the first guy who really made me feel special. Like, yeah. like you know what I mean? Like, really said, like, you know, you got like you got something special. And he really tried to give me opportunities. Uh, in in terms of mentoring, no, he didn't. You know, he didn't have anything to offer. Right. You know, like you would think that he might have been a guy who'd seen all these guys come. You gotta understand, this was the '80s. I'm sure that like. Some of the people that he had to deal with hadn't come later to yeah. like, you know, the Chris Farley sure. and guys like that. So, um, I don't know. He's just, he made me, you know, just, it, it was, it was like that feeling of special, like feeling like you have a unique talent. You deserve to be doing this. Uh, it's kind of like, I tell you, man, I've made peace with it. I made peace with it a long time ago, but I can't help but think sometimes. I mean, Mark, I'm not saying this like out of like, you know, oh, you, I was like, I didn't get, I got into the candy store. I didn't get up the ladder to that like nice jar with all yeah. the real, but man, I got into the store. I have a friend of mine who uses that metaphor. He goes, nah, you really got like more like to the window. You were like we're close, but you're looking in. But like, I kind of felt like I got into the store and I just didn't have it to like get up that ladder to the thing. But I got into the, I think I, I feel like that I got into a door that a lot of guys never get in that door so i should be very grateful you know? right and i've often thought this and i don't know maybe but what, being... what exactly happened so you're on you got you you did the pilot you did the you did the show and then you you're 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 signed up to be a featured player on snl okay when what happened the was wheels come off <laughs> you know said the wheels came off almost immediately <laughs> No one saw, like, I guess, like, I guess the wheels came off. I must have had the donut on because <laughs> I managed to, when you're really looking back at yeah. where I was at, the fact that I got a couple of year run, um, Lauren was doing that show, the new show. Yeah. And so, like, I guess, like, me and Havy were, like, the guys who yeah. nobody ever knew of. And then uh, he had all these guys like Candy and Dave Thomas, Buck Henry. So they would work us into sketches. And then, like, but for some reason, Lauren, like, you know, bring me into the office. And I just remember one day, like, we were making, like, uh, after scale. And this guy came over and said, hey, Dan, I'm Jim, blah, blah, blah. I'm one of the associate producers. Lauren wants to offer you a contract. It's going to be uh, 1500 a week. And you're it's like, you know, I was making $15, you know. Yeah. So I had had, like, a little Coke problem at that point. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing that happens when you're not making money and you have a little coke problem and then you're making a whole bunch of money at once you suddenly have a big coke problem man <laughs> and i was like but it's funny like i've always been like thought like like guys like me and you say for example we're kind of hip like we get the types yeah. we see the people we go like yeah. man i would never be like this Did you see this showbiz asshole yeah, over yeah, here yeah have this prima donna walking yeah. in yeah. from his little the minute I was making the bread, I was starting to get like a little TV time. Yeah. I became like the biggest, like, you know, like walk in like, hey, how are the boys doing tonight? <laughs> yeah, going to do your little 20 minutes? Yeah. Am I on? You know, I'd be like, 
wow <laughs> like you know, like 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 looking back like what you know like what did spots pay in the if you really think about it like so say it's like the 1980s i think he made like ten dollars a night at the improv yeah which everybody takes the 10 yeah like seinfeld would take the 10 yeah he might tip a waitress or something right. but nobody ever turned down the car she'd come in and be working on the show come in and be like, oh, can I get on? Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, put Dan on. He's yeah. doing some TV. Yeah. And I'd go in the bathroom and I'd be like, wah, wah. And I realized I would probably spend like $100 just or to get on stage. Just for like a $10 set. Yeah. And then like call the comedy seller, you know, talk to, uh, you know, Manny. Rick Crow. Oh, yeah. hey, Rick, you need some. Oh, yeah, I'm in a cab. So I'd jump in a cab and I'd be like, hey, look the other way. Wow. And I realized, like, I'd make $25 a night doing comedy and spend, like, you know, hundreds of dollars <laughs> running around. Kind of was fun. But um, so the uh, the new show, I remember uh, it just it was the lowest rated show that year yeah. on television. In yeah. fact, Miami Vice took its time slot. So then Lauren called me in the office and said, listen, I'm going to get you some money from NBC. It's like development money. You know, at the time, it was pretty good. It really wasn't that much money. Yeah. Like, like 20, 25 grand, something yeah. like that. So he wound up, uh, he was going to produce a pilot. And it was uh, it was called Big Shots in America. And James Burroughs directed it. Bernie Brillstein. I mean, like, all the heavyweights were there. This thing looked like it was, like, yeah. going to be a monster. Mountaineer yeah. was in it. Christine Baranski, whatever. Good people. And the thing just, it just didn't work. So... But I made a lot of money, you know, relative yeah, sure, at the time sure. doing that. But you know what? By the time we did the pilot, man, I'd already started like, like, I'd already started falling apart. Like, yeah. it, it had swung the other way. Yeah. Where, like, the booze had, like, taken over. It wasn't just like, okay, he's a little crazy. This is fun. It's like... Nah, this guy's really like <laughs> uncomfortable to be around, <laughs> yeah. and like he did sign a contract, and we have to pay him, so yeah. we we might as well use him. And I remember like shooting that pilot man up at eight H. We shot the pilot at eight H, and I remember like, uh, I just was like, you know, not doing that. Gr- I mean, it was like shooting a pilot in front of a live audience. To begin with, was like a different. I'd been in plays and I'd acted, but like this was, a, and like Lorne, whatever he nurtured and mentored as like a co- comedic, he wasn't like a people guy. Yeah, like people would say, like you know, I've never seen him lose his mind yeah. at people, uh, except with you, and he would just like be screaming, like you know, from behind a camera, there'd yeah. be a red light on a camera, and yeah. he'd be like. Just do the fucking lines, goddamn, you know. And then like I remember Joe Montaigne, who I still. To this day, I, he'd come over and go like, "Hey man, screw that! Just look in my eyes. We do this, you know." Yeah. And uh, I do remember, like, I mean, it was hell. It was really hell. And that guy Jim Burroughs, who's like arguably one of the most successful producer directors yeah. in yeah. sitcom history. Yeah. yeah. That guy, I'm pretty sure he loathed me from the moment, you know, like he got well, stuck with me. What were you doing? Me. You were just improving, or you were just not? No, you know. it was a sitcom. I play. I was like the Fonzie character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like the Fonzie guy. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was so like. What uh, was the fundamental problem? That you know, what were you not getting? Oh, uh, because I was like, I was drunk. Uh, I, let's put it this way: I was drunk at night, and then coming into rehearsal scared. Yeah, and then. As soon as I started getting yelling, yelled at, I'd go out and get drunk 
or so at a certain point all i knew was there was a red light there and i see oh and this is a weird thing man i guess because lorne had never uh produced a sitcom yeah he had guys with uh i remember him arguing with jim burrow i heard that they were arguing because he had guys with cue cards there and like I heard someone go like, no, nah, nobody does cue cards in a sitcom, yeah. man. That's like live TV stuff yeah. and all. But somehow or another, they I'm sure this is one of the few sitcoms that was ever shot where a guy was actually holding cue cards. Yeah, yeah. Like you would if you were doing... Yeah. yeah. You know what the weird thing is? I actually have a copy of it somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I remember like years ago, my friend Chris Murphy. Yeah, I remember Murphy. I remember is he right? Yeah, he's good. Okay. He had some problems. He's, he pulled through, man. Good. Yeah, he's a good guy. So I just remember going to his apartment. I said, hey, man, I haven't looked at this since this is like eight years later or something. So we put it in the, uh, I guess it was like a VHS in those yeah. days. And I went, well, you're about to watch a man in complete blackout drunk perform a sitcom shot before a live audience at 8H Studio. And we watched the thing, and the credits roll, Joe Montaigne, Dan Vitale. And we watched the thing, and it wasn't great. But I tell you, the weird thing is, you'd almost wouldn't know that I was drunk. Like yeah. I would just—I mean, I know, Jim Burrows. I'm sure if you, you know, if you if you were interviewing him next and he walked in the door, he'd probably turn around. If he remembered me, yeah. probably when he remembered. But here's the weird thing, man. You would have thought that that would have brought everything down to a screeching halt. A couple of months, that Lauren announced he was going back to take SNL over in 1985, and I went up to the offices. And he made me audition with like everybody, but it's like the cast that year was like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. and uh, Randy Quaid. It was great. And I showed up like, here's the weird thing. I think I showed up drunk at one of the auditions. And yet he called me to the office. And I remember sitting in the office. So this is like the fall of 1985. So. Yeah. And he went, All right, tell Downey's agent 3000 a week. See if you could do, you know. Yeah, Robert was like 20 years old. Yeah. You know, so he was like, all right. And then he looked at me and he went, Dan, um, in the words of the Kennedy brothers talking about LBJ, I'm hiring you. I'd rather have you inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. And what did that like, mean to you? I guess it meant like, I've spent a couple of years trying to develop stuff with you. Now I've got this, this thing, thing yeah. I'm doing. And if I don't hire you, it would be just my luck for you to be a, to hit on some other venue and right. attack me. Right. And uh, so like he still believed in me enough that way. Yeah. But, you know, it was really weird, man. It was like almost like because, and I wasn't probably doing so much to dissuade everybody, but like I showed up, man. And, you know, like, Lovitz had his desk, and, uh, you know, uh, he was like, oh, he was a great guy, Robert Smigel. Yeah, yeah. He was, like, the only guy who would talk to me. Yeah. Like, he, he, had a, he had a little office with this guy, John Schwartzfelder. Yeah, yeah. He was, like, one of the, wound up being one of the original Simpsons guys. Yeah, yeah. And Smigel was just, like, a new guy there. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, my desk was, like, it was, like, almost like I was loitering, you know, like, I was yeah, yeah, be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, And then, like, I'd go get drunk. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no one was really including me in. Yeah. So then I go in, I talk to Smigel and He's a sweet guy, Smigel. And then you know who else was up there who I became pretty good friends with at the time? Remember, you know Bruce McCullough? Uh, from the Kids in the Hall? Yeah, and yeah. Mark McKinney. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, just those two guys from the Kids in the Hall were hired as yeah. writers, but they were like 
complete raw rookies, I'd just go like, uh, we'll go hang out with the kids, man. Yeah, yeah. And then like all the film guys, like uh, James Signorelli had the film unit. Where yeah. they shoot, and I knew that the film guys had like a refrigerator with beer. So like if I'd run through my money, and yeah. <laughs> I'd go like hang out with the film. Hey, guys, what are you shooting? Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, you mind? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I remember like Madonna was hosting the first show. And I guess she had married uh, Sean Penn just not long before that. So these guys really dug me, uh, McCullough and McKinney. Yeah. They were just getting started. Yeah. And they wrote a sketch for me with Madonna as yeah. this, like, Avone guy who, like, has a date with her. Yeah. And uh, they came to me and they went, you know, man, Lauren just went. Like, in other words, and, you know, justifiably so. He didn't trust me. Like I wasn't somebody he was pushing. I had, yeah. you know, what I mean, I hadn't earned any trust. It was yeah. like this guy we don't know. So I got like some things written for me, and they never really got past dress rehearsal, man. Right. And then I just, within like a matter of weeks, it was like, you know, wherever my alcoholism was at, you know, it just all it just all caved in, man. Yeah. And I went to my very first <laughs> nineteen fall of eighty five, late eighty five. I wound up at Regent Hospital. On East 61st Street. And actually, I was getting fired. I remember I went into the office because I'd actually written a film at the time. I, I'd co-written a film with this buddy of mine. Lorne was actually interested in producing, possibly. So he got us some money from some producers. Yeah. But he was, like, so convinced at that point that I was, like, becoming more and more trouble and untrustworthy that he got me money just to walk away from it. So, like... I wound up like getting paid just to let the other guy go do the rewrite and whatever would go. Remember Gary Weiss, the guy who shot yeah. the films? Yeah. So I remember Weiss would come up to me because I guess he'd had some issues. He was like, dude, you're like gone, man. <laughs> you know, it was great Robert Downey Jr. And I haven't seen him in years. But he was like, he was almost like, he was really like uh, like a great young guy. And he'd yeah. be like, man, you're messed up. Let's go. Because like, we'd go to like a cast party the first week with that, like the Odeon. Yeah. And I remember like I was getting in a fight with like, you know, telling Pee Wee Herman to go fuck himself. Yeah, go fuck you. you and like, they were trying to throw me out of the party. Yeah. And I remember Downey jumping in the cab with me going, hey, I'm sticking with you, man. <laughs> you know, and then we would go to some like after hours club. He was a great guy. I didn't, who would have ever guessed what was going yeah. to become? He was just. Yeah, it's just like, this kid. You're nuts, man. You know, <laughs> you know I remember like uh, when Pee Wee Herman hosted, yeah. it was like the second show. I just remember how they didn't throw me out of the building. I don't know, but I just remember like, uh, I guess Phil Hartman was like actually like sort of like his right hand guy. Yeah. Like they had worked together right. or something. So right. he, Hartman wasn't a cast guy. And I just remember being being so drunk, like I was on my back in the writer's room and like looking up and uh, seeing Paul Rubens. And this guy, Phil Hartman, sitting there. And I just remember babbling something. And at that point, like, I I kind of got to the point where I would just be, like, getting drunk. And guys would just be, like, walking over me. Yeah. Like, like, oh, no, he does that. He gets drunk. He lays. <laughs> that, don't worry about it. You know? And, you know, like, and then, like, I'd see Al Franken, who was, like, the producer. Yeah. And, you know, like, so I was getting the warnings. Like, you know, man, you're really, like, out of control here. And then finally, like, uh, there was one show. Where, like, uh, I think I, like, stayed in my dressing room and I didn't show up for a sketch. Yeah. And it was like, okay. So I was getting fired. You got to understand, this is 1985, so it's a different reference than now. I had somehow heard the word rehab, 
I didn't even really completely understand what it was. So Lauren was like, listen, this is, you'll get paid for the first 13. And I just looked across the desk and I went, not knowing what a rehab really was, I went, what if I went into rehab? And he went, oh, well, that's another story. And then, like, I guess Gary Weiss had been in rehab. He came in. So I had after great, like, after insurance. The next thing you know, I was in, like, some, like, high end. And I remember thinking, like, and that's where the line comes from, buddy. The hitting bottom? Because it was 1985. I had a cashmere coat. I had, like, thousands of dollars. I was getting checks sent to the rehab, being kept in the safe. And I really thought I was hitting bottom. And in a weird way, at that time I was. But, like... You know, I was still in my 20s. I still yeah. had my physicality. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was under contract to, like, arguably the biggest comedy show in the country. Yeah. Uh, I, You know what I mean? But I thought, like, oh, boy, this is it. The, uh, you've become the gutter. This is it. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know, man. Maybe it was easier to embrace the idea of being a failure in that moment yeah. and like going, hey, I'm a drug addict, I'm an alcohol, than it was to actually like face the fear of yeah. what it took. I mean, because I was privy to like, uh, you know, top psychiatrists and, uh, you know, they brought AA meetings in and CA meetings. And it's like I was giving, I intellectually got it. Yeah. I intellectually understood this is what I need to do now right. to not be blowing up this part of my life intellectually but the intellectuality didn't do me any good right no i, I hadn't yeah. gotten it i completely know? understand that. i was yeah. talking about that with somebody uh, the other day like you can understand something but you can't yeah. engage it yeah you know like i get that yeah but the other you thing processed it you hadn't really yeah well you're still not dealing with the sickness right. you know right, <laughs> right. well yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i like, get it but can i get a line oh i understand I, I can't tell you how many guys i say well it's I wouldn't even say sad to say because I'm the fact that I'm sitting here with you in this lovely room with these, you know, doing this interview, and that I'm 57 and I still smoke cigarettes. Yeah. And the fact that I'm alive, that so I can't say sad to say or oh, it's right. a messed up story. I'm thrilled that I made it through all that because I'll tell you something, man. Any of these, like, scripts I'm working on, if they get finished, we don't know. That's all a crapshoot, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Or will I start performing again? Somebody be like, hey, quite a character. Let's throw him in that sitcom. Yeah. Or throw him in that film. Yeah, it could happen. But, you know, like, guys who always, you always hear about a guy like, oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's playing the part of a guy who's, so he's spending some time downtown. It's like, you know, man. <laughs> All that time that I wasn't like performing yeah. and like making it in show business, the characters I've met, the darkness I've seen, I don't need any more prep work. It's like, oh, yeah? You want me to be that guy? Yeah, I got you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I always hear about some actor. Like, oh, Ryan Gosling yeah, yeah. Uh, was hanging out in a uh, tiki bar in Florida because he wanted to see what people. It was like, oh, really? He needed to study that, huh? I got five guys' numbers. I call you right now. They're that, yeah. <laughs> They're that you know guy. what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I had a few people over the years who always say to me, like, uh, you know, man, you romanticize your darkness too much, and uh, and it's like, you know, they may have had a point. They may or may not have had a point. But I will tell you, I wouldn't trade in one moment of all the friggin' people that I met, the demi-monde, as the French would say. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, 
it was like almost worth having to go through all that. Yeah. To see that side of life that that like if you'd planned it, you never would have. No, you would have you would have just pretended or you yeah, would have lived through yeah. someone else's wife. Right. You had a life. Yeah, so now the only thing is staying alive to freaking, you know, talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're alive, man. You're doing good. Yeah. This was great, man. Thanks I for really, talking thanks to me. Thanks for like I mean, I gotta be honest with you, other than Charlie Rose, this was like <laughs> I've always thought myself like at my lowest moment, I always watched Charlie Rose and thought, man. If I could just get it together, to have a project. To I don't know why. And I, you know, I'm not always even that impressed with everything he says, but it's <laughs> yeah. just something about that table. Yeah. But this was, this was like, yeah, this close. was the thing. Oh, good. No, man. this was the thing. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, brother. This it's great fantastic. to see you, man. Glad you're doing well. Thanks, buddy. Love him. Love it. I'm glad he's okay. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you, man. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. You know, do what you got to do. I don't know, man. I think I'm going to, not going to ramble through this outro, but do, if you're new, if you're a newbie, you know, make sure you get the free app and upgrade to the premium and, you know, allow yourself to stream all the, uh, all the apps. A lot of people are coming in and just discovering the show and, oh boy. I'm looking out my window. I'm looking out my window at New York. It's a nice day. I don't come here very often. I'm going to go do it. I might end up at Veselka again for some borscht. Just to tap in, man. To tap in. I'm going to ground myself in a Ukrainian soup. That's what I'm going to do. Boomer lives.